None unto us, O Lord, none unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake, help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us and purge away our sins, for thy name's sake. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. We gather to you before you, God Almighty of heaven and earth. We gather before you as your people by the blood of Christ Jesus. We gather God with hearts of worry and concern and the difficulties of the week. May we cast them aside, Lord. May you carry those burdens from off our shoulders, Lord God, as we focus upon you on this, your day, Lord God, on this, the day of the resurrection of Christ Jesus Lord, a day to remember and to focus upon and to strengthen our weak faith of the goodness that is you, of the mercies that we have in Christ Jesus, of our justification, of our adoption, of our sanctification, and our ultimate glorification when Jesus Christ shall return and all sins shall be wiped clean forever and ever in our own personal lives, God. We shall be perfected and all our tears shall be wiped away as well. Help us, Lord, to look day by day for these things, to strengthen ourselves by reading your word, by praying together as a family and individually, Lord, as needed, that, Lord God, we would have our hope in you, renewed in you, and strengthened in you. And this, again, a special day to that end. May we have your grace and your spirit upon us this morning. We pray in particular for our families. We ask God for the husbands and wives, Lord to follow in your footsteps, for the husbands to lead uh, their wives and their family, God, to stand firm, to protect their family, to uh, know their weaknesses and their strengths, and to use them accordingly uh, for the good of the family, God, above, uh, to lead their wives in love and understanding, but lead, nevertheless, in a society that doesn't want that, that considers that misogyny, that considers that hate and evil, Lord, and... Uh, we ask God that we would stand firm, nevertheless, as churches and as Christian families, to reinforce and support one another in this call and function for the husbands of the families, God. We pray for the wives that they would stand firm, uh, that they, Lord, uh, to the lies of the world, would show that it does indeed take uh, much courage and strength by your spirit, Lord, to submit and to follow their husbands and to follow their vocation and calling in lives as wives and as mothers of God above. Strengthen them, we pray, Lord God, that they would also encourage one another. We would pray for them. And, Lord God, we pray for them as parents, the husband and wife, the they are a mother and a father, Lord, to their children, to lead and instruct their children in righteousness, and so into the things of this world, for they are called God, and indeed we are all called not to simply only live in the kingdom of God, but to live in the kingdom of man, to live in this world, Lord, as we are able, to do our callings and vocations in life, to use our strengths and abilities and talents. But our children need to be taught what these strengths and abilities and talents that they have, Lord, to discover them and to train them so that they can be productive members of society and of the church. And so, God, we ask that you would be with our parents again in the day and age that despises parenthood, uh, that undermines it in the media that we have and in the schooling often, Lord, and the instruction that they give or the instruction that's omitted, uh, Lord, our God above, we again, we pray that we would support one another as churches and as families to support the parents, to support the children, to call upon them, God, and to encourage them and to warn them from the danger of the world around us, God above. We pray for our children, God, and the precious spirit that you would be within them and move in their hearts, Lord, at a young age, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that their baptism would indeed uh, point to an efficaciousness of the spirit in their lives. And we pray, God, that we will work to that end to use what we can as a church, as families, and as individuals to protect and support the children of the church.
to watch over them, Lord, to admonish them, to encourage them, Lord, to direct them unto Jesus Christ. We ask for a growth of love and patience in our families and amongst ourselves, Lord, as the Church of God. And during these difficult times that we find ourselves in, Lord, frustrating times in many regards, to be sure, we pray for our work situation. We ask that in your providence, Lord, that we would continue to have gainful employment in our church, as we've had a high, high employment. But we also pray, God, at the national level for the unemployment that's still amongst us, Lord. It's a high number, but we are uh, indeed amazed in your providence that it has dropped so much over the summer. We pray that it would continue that way, especially for uh, the Christians, God, for our brothers and sisters who are unemployed and who are struggling during the restrictions they find themselves in in this nation. We ask, God, that they would have gainful employment and would continue and grow, and that for ourselves, Lord, for we who have uh, good jobs, that we would be able to maintain and protect them, Lord, to have these jobs continuing forward into the future. Help us to be wise in this regard. We pray for good bosses. Pray for understanding bosses that would give us the things that we need so that we can be good workers. May we, Lord, as uh, workers, Lord, at home or with our employees, uh, outside the home, God, that we would work as unto you, Lord Jesus. Do our best to pay attention, to concentrate, to use our gifts and abilities, Lord. And this is a showing again of love uh, to our neighbor, and that is to those co-workers in our company, God, that we wish to do a good job in your sight. Help us, Lord, to that end, we pray. May we have wisdom with respect to our budgets as well. Again, to have an understanding of the signs and times in which we find ourselves in. It's very frustrating often, Lord, because there's a lot of misinformation uh, from all kinds of sources, God. And so we have to do our best. We pray that we would have that wisdom and understanding and find access to what we need to know to budget better, uh, to save up better for the future, Lord, to prepare for a rainy day and even worse, we ask God, to have this ability, to continue to use this ability for one another and for our church and for your name's sake. And lastly, God above, we pray for the politics and the social issues we find ourselves in, Lord. We pray for protection from wicked laws and uh, threatenings of wicked laws that we know of that could happen in the future and that seem almost certain, Lord, and for wicked leaders. We pray, God, and ask for repentance accordingly. We ask especially not just for protection as a nation, but for protection for the churches um, and the legal protection, God, for adoption, Christian adoptions and the like, God, above. Uh, these things have been protected a little better uh, currently, Lord, and we, we are fearful of the future. That is, we, we speak as a man, Lord, that we don't want these things and we want to avoid them as possible. But at the end of the day, Lord, God, above, may we meditate upon the greatness that is you, on your omnipotent power, on the fact that you are in charge and not so-called democracy of America, Rather, Lord Jesus, that we would continue to be strengthened and put our trust in you, even as we are called to use wisdom and to use the means of providence that you've given us, God above. And may this morning again direct us away from the distractions of this life, Lord, uh, on this your day, so that we can focus upon you to renew and strengthen our inner man. We pray for these things in accordance to your word. For your glory alone, amen. Let us uh, read the Ten Commandments together. It's a summary of God's will for our life. The Ten Commandments and the insert. Let us read them together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the word of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. This is uh, one of many, many passages <clears throat> on the great sovereignty and power and might of God Almighty. There are many, many others I could have chosen. This one uh, stood out to me in my studies, and I thought I would use this amongst many other ones as well. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. Psalm 135, verse 6, 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. Let us pray. With this summary, Lord, of the greatness of Your might and power, may we rest and have comfort in. We ask God above that we would cast aside, Lord, and put aside all distractions of this week. They have their place and callings, certainly, God, but we know, Lord, this is your day. It is the Lord's day, as the New Testament calls it, and not our day. <clears throat> and this teaches us, Lord, there's something special about it, because in reality, you own everything, just like every day is really your day, and yet there's this thing called the Lord's day. And so it is a special time, God, above, and may this sermon remind us again and point to and strengthen us and lift up our weary heads to as we remember God Almighty and praise you, Lord, for nothing can stop you as our Almighty Creator. In your name alone we pray. Amen. I recall working on the west side of Denver back in the mid-90s. It's so long ago now, isn't it? I just left the Air Force and started a job that summer here in Denver. My job was to install, install telephony at businesses, right? All the connections for data and telephone, that closet with all the cables there, and route them through the walls and punch holes in the business walls and put the cables there and put the little cap on, and there you have a phone or a data connection to the Internet. That was my job for that summer. 
There was a new business building off of Wads, Wadsworth, south of Hampton, up there near the top of the hill. After finishing a long day's worth of work, I was driving in the car listening to the Christian radio, leaving the building. The caller was complaining to the talk show host about Bill Clinton being president. Remember that? (laughs) He was quite worried. The host comforted him, comforted him, and that's a good thing, with Proverbs 21.1. And that's a good text. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he wills. Good stuff, I thought. But instead of leaving it right there, the host opened his mouth and continued to explain, but of course, the king has free will. I was gripping the wheel tightly lest I pull off the side of the road as I was yelling at the radio. That's not what the text says. That's not what the Bible says. How could he say that? How can he be comforting to the caller to know that, sure, the proverb says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. It's like rivers of water, and he turns and moves and directs it as he wills. See how comforting that is? But not really, because it doesn't really mean that. What it means is at the end of the day, if the king so wills it, that God can direct his will. God wants one thing, the caller is essentially, uh, the host is essentially saying, and Bill Clinton wants another, and at the end of the day, Bill Clinton gets what he wants, because he has free will. That's what he's saying. He believes that Clinton, or Trump, or whoever else, can thwart God's will. And I wonder if that's what he tells himself in the year 2020. But by God's grace, we have been given a clear revelation, brothers and sisters, in God's word, that God is mighty. He is almighty. Clinton could not stop him 25 years ago, and 2020 cannot stop him. God's power enacts his holy will always and at all times. And he does it for his glory and for your good. That is comforting. Just read that text. That's all you need to know. Don't add commentary to it. Now, it's terrifying if God is not your father, because you don't know what he's up to. You know he's your judge, and that's a scary thing, but he is our father, brothers and sisters. And we know as our heavenly father, he directs all things for our good. He has a good purpose and a good will behind his almighty power. That is our comfort. That is our hope. The first point, remember God's almighty power. We are called to remember God's almighty power power. Almighty, or the omnipotence of God Almighty, nothing can stand against His plans or His intentions. That's what it means in one way of describing it. It's central to Christianity, this doctrine of the omnipotence or the almighty power of God above. For example, how can we rest in His mercy if His mercy is ineffectual, impotent, and otherwise powerless? If He promises to take us to heaven, but that promise has a big caveat, If, if you persevere, if Satan doesn't grab your heart, if this, if that, then there is no comfort in the gospel. Only sleepless nights wondering, did I sin the unpardonable sin? Did I go one step too far? Is my faith strong enough? Did Satan really deceive me? Brothers and sisters, this would gut the gospel. 
This would go, the good news as a could be kind of a good news if you try hard enough, if the right circumstances occur. That's not the promises given to us in the gospel, in the Bible. What's the point of the promise? What's the point of the good news if God cannot fulfill his promises to save your soul to the uttermost? He is faithful and just. God is gracious and merciful. But he is more, he is almighty, he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful. Now we know, of course, that does not mean that he can sin. That's why I said he does his most holy will. Holy will. He cannot contradict himself. Two plus two does not equal five, no matter what the politicians may tell us. That's how God designed the universe, because it expresses his holy will. The almighty power of God we can see in various passages. Like I said, there were so many passages you could sit there meditating upon them day after day for months on end, if not years on end. But I had to stop and pick a verse <laughs> and preach upon it and many other verses as we have here. Let's go to Genesis 1.1. Well, you can listen to it for you know the passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does not that express his almighty power? There was nothing there, now there is something. That is omnipotence. That is a wonderful power of God. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Well, yeah, we say that, but we're flipping a switch on. Someone else made it for us, and even before that engineer or electrician who put the wiring there... He had to use what God had already created, light and electricity, and plasma or whatever else that glows. All things have their source in God above, and that shows his almighty power. Look at the creation, brothers and sisters. Look at the wonders of the things around us. Although the media does not, although the politicians do not, and the social leaders and the Hollywood types and whoever else, and your teachers and your professors and your co-workers and your bosses, they blind themselves to the wonders of creation. They'll draw the right inference, which is, there is a creator, if there is a creation. And that creator is greater than this creation. And God saw the light, and that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. God defines reality. The calling and naming of things in the ancient Near East is a definitional matter. We have the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. We go to that for the definition of words. God defines reality. We go to him and the things that he has created. He has made light. He has made darkness. He calls it light, and he calls it day and night because he defines the parameters of reality. That's the kind of powerful God that we have. Merriam-Webster has nothing on him. They could play around with word games and call a man a woman, a woman a man. As you know, they're playing around with the dictionary. Keep a real dictionary at home. Keep a digital copy. I'm dead serious. It'll be gone in 10, 20 years easily. But it can't, they cannot change reality. I mean, a man's a man and a woman's a woman, no matter what label you put on him. God has so defined it that no matter what man does, he always comes back to the basics, and they're going to be miserable, and they're going to hate it. They cannot change God's reality because God is more powerful than they are. All creation witnesses his power and his might and his strength, brothers and sisters. We read in Psalm 135, another passage here, whatsoever the Lord pleased that he did in heaven and in the earth and the seas and all the deep places, no matter where or what, the highest, deepest parts of space, 
in the depths of the sea. That's what he's describing here. The height, the width, it doesn't matter where you go. God will do what he wills. Nothing can stop him. You can't think of a scenario in this creation in time and space that can thwart and stop God. Nothing in the heavens, nothing in the earth, nothing in the seas, and all the deep places. Try to find a place. The psalmist says you can't. God will do what he wills, and he does what he wills. Job 42.2 describes God's almighty power. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So we had someone in prayer time pray that God would thwart the plans of the wicked. As only God can. The wicked cannot thwart the plans of God. We do not have that kind of a God. We have a greater God than that. Our Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. God's most holy will cannot be stopped by kings, by Clinton, by Trump, by nobody. Not by Satan, nor your sins. Nothing, brothers and sisters. So you can depend upon that almighty power. Before I get to the second point, I want to describe not only the almighty strength and omnipotence of God, generally speaking, but a little more specific before I get to the second point. God as almighty is reflected in the fact that he is judge. The picture, because that's the best we can come up with, is a metaphors and pictures to see the trueness, the glories of God would consume us to ashes. We read... In Revelation, for example, too often churches have offered Jesus as Savior and gracious God. Yes, yes, but he's more than that. He's almighty judge. He has an almighty Savior. He's an almighty grace and mercy. Living in the valley of tears, we witness many injustices. And so we need a reminder that God is greater than the injustices. His power and might is greater than the injustices of this universe. If God is not almighty, then he cannot execute justice. But we read otherwise in Revelation, the beginning of Revelation, and at the end of Revelation. At the beginning of Revelation, at chapter 1, verse 4 and following, we have this glorious picture of Christ Jesus. Our Savior, yes, but also our judge, but a judge that is the Father above who has redeemed us and declared us righteous for Christ's sake. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood." And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Our Savior is also our King. And the judge who has declared us perfect in Christ Jesus. It's all of a piece in the Bible, brothers and sisters. We must not forget this. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. That's the might and power of God, his strength, exercised for us in our redemption. And at the end, near the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11, we read, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. 
He was clothed, clothed with a robe dripped, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is a picture of might and power. A Savior, yes, but exercising his strength to redeem his people and to conquer the world and the nations. This is our God, brothers and sisters, even in the year 2020. So the first point, remember God's almighty power. But as I've drilled into his almighty power from the general to, to the specific right now, here in the second point, remember God's almighty providential power. It's more specific than just upholding the world and the nations. And that's sufficient. Meditating upon that truth enough is wonderful to behold. But his providential power... That, as you know, he guides and directs all things in accordance to his plan. Not just making the world and creation and all the animals and all the stars and all the atoms and protons, but he guides and directs that creation as well. It's more specific. It's not just a spinning of the top of the world, little tops when you were kids, right, on the ground and off it goes, but he maintains and sustains that earth and that universe. And all creation. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That's their dice back then. You cast it, and roll one, two, three, four, five, or six. We have, you know, statistical ways of determining. We say determining. It's statistical, right? It's the odds, we say. There's no odds with God. He knows exactly how it's going to land. The outcome is from the Lord, Proverbs 16.33. The most insignificant thing, playing a dice game. And the conclusion of the matter is, God's behind it. And of course, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it wherever so he wills. God directs the king's life and his heart, it says. The king may want to go to war, but it was part of God's plan from eternity past, that he would go to war. That God directs the most mighty men on earth, the king, that's the picture of here, in the ancient Near East, the kings were virtual demigods. And if they're under the thumb of God, how much more is everything else under the thumb of God? Under his control, his direction. Proverbs 21 is not the only text, of course, describing the great power of our Lord and Savior. We go back to Proverbs 16. And this is a good chapter to put in your brain, even if you don't remember every particular verse. Remember, Proverbs 16 is a good chapter on the sovereignty of God. There are four texts there. I'm not going to go through all four texts. You heard one of them, verse 33 at the very end. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Also, at the very beginning of Proverbs 16, verse 1, we read, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Or as we like to say, the best laid plans of mice and men. <laughs> we have preparations, we have plans, even how to speak. And at the end of the day, the speaking comes forth because it's from the Lord and part of His plan. You know that when the wrong thing comes out of your mouth. You're like, I was thinking about this, and what did I, what was I, what, what did I say that? What was going on here? That's God. Okay, that's part of His providence. 
It's another way of saying Proverbs 21.1. The heart, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The tongue is in the hand of the Lord, of anyone and everyone. It's not just the king, but everyone is under God's providence and direction. We say what we want, but it's never outside of God's want, his plan. The certainty of what we will say when we plan our speeches ever so carefully is always part of God's plan. And we know that, of course, because of this text we've experienced in our life. We mess up, but the mess up is still part of God's plan. It humbles us, it reminds us at the end of the day that God's in charge and not us. We make all kinds of plans in our hearts, but the tongue and the answer is from the Lord. But not just providence, the direction, directing of all things according to his eternal plans and upholding and sustaining them, but the special providence of his people, of us today, where we are this morning. Was it an accident that this facility had deigned, after several months of never meeting and still not meeting, our request to meet? When they had said no before, it was God's timing. It was part of his plan. And we thank him for the special providence that we can meet when many others cannot meet. Psalm 76.10, we read, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall gird yourself up. It's actually a semi-famous sermon from Pastor Witherspoon, the famous Presbyterian in the American colonies in the late 1700s. And during the war, from, uh, war of independence from Britain, the Revolutionary War, he preached on Psalm 76.10, reminding people that the wrath of man, in that case expressed in war, is still part of God's plan. God will use the wrath of man to bring praise upon him. The remainder of the wrath you shall gird upon yourself, gird as in use to support you and to... Be part of your plan, is what it's describing here in beautiful poetry of Psalm 76. The wicked plans and riots and conspiracies of men are nothing before our Creator. In fact, He uses the wrath and this wickedness for holy ends in His glory. They are culpable. And the Bible says men make a plan in their hearts. They're culpable. They're moral agents that way, yes. But God, at the end of the day, is in charge and directs these things to his glory, his praise, and our good. And a special providence, a particularly special providence, that God has given his church from day one after the fall is the establishment of his kingdom. Ever think about that? Adam and Eve were the first members of the kingdom of God after the fall and their saved children, and them thereafter, up into the New Testament era, into where we are today. There are two kingdoms in this world, as you know, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. One claims ownership of this life, but the other has actual ownership of this world, God and his rule. The first kingdom claims power over our lives, the second has actual power over our lives and the lives of everyone else. And both claim allegiance of our soul. The kingdom of man is varied and different from pure politics to entertainment and prestige and money and whatever other things that guides and directs their hearts. But they all have one thing in common. They are not of God's kingdom. That is his moral kingdom in Christ Jesus. They are certainly under his rule and directed by him, but God has given us a special providence in this common realm of reality and providence itself. He has given us the kingdom of God. 
and they will fail and fall into dust and ashes of misery and destruction, brothers and sisters, as promised in his word. But the kingdom of God will last forever, and his rule is benign and loving, and his power directed for the good of the church and for your good. All things are directed for our good, because God has that kind of power. Remember that. Meditate upon these truths, brothers and sisters. Remember not just God Almighty and God, God's Almighty providence, but remember God's Almighty merciful power directed specifically to you this morning. Look not with your eyes. If we only see with our eyes of the flesh, there's only depression, sadness, and heartache. Do not look to the wicked who seem to succeed and prosper. Nor the sins running wild. Wicked men intend to use their wickedness for their gain, but their wickedness counts for naught in God's providence. God's intention counts, not theirs. And we know this specifically in redemption, in redemptive history. The one famous passage that you uh, probably really, really want to write in your Bible somewhere. Genesis 50, verse 20. Genesis 50, chapter 50, verse 20. Where Joseph tells his brothers what? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Remember this, brothers and sisters. Men have evil intents, yes, but God has a good intent and it's always greater than the evil intent around us. We may not know immediately why that's the case, how that works out for our good, how that brings some kind of deliverance, when it will bring some kind of deliverance, but that is used by God for His glory and our good, no matter what the intent of wicked conspiracies are, is a fact we ought to meditate upon and remember. Write it down. And the greatest act of wicked intent, of sin and rebellion, is the death of Jesus Christ. That is, the killing of him with wicked intent. Acts 2.22, where Peter tells the men of Israel, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, part of God's plan, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put him to death. They had wicked intent, but God had good intent, and he used it for our good, brothers and sisters, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. God brought the greatest good out of the greatest wickedness. And if that's true, how much more can he bring it out of all these smaller things? Small. It is small. Conspiracies today, riots and the like, are small compared to trying to kill Jesus Christ. Violation of the first table, right? Violation of the first, second, third, all the commandments. God brought good out of it. And God will bring good out of 2020, brothers and sisters. Remember that fact. And meditate upon it. Let us pray. May we take time, God, not just on this, your Lord's Day, but throughout the week as we need it, to read your word, to remember that God is all-powerful and almighty, and that grace is directed towards your glory and our good. 
your name alone we pray, for your glory alone, as we can only pray by the power of the Spirit alone. Amen.